0: You are listening to Peace Perspectives, produced by Nonviolence International Southeast Asia. In this episode, we speak with Mitzi Ostero, Programs Manager of Nonviolence International Southeast Asia, and Yudi Adiputra from the Department of International Relations, Faculty of Social and Political Science at Universitas Mada, to discuss national and gender perspectives on the development of emerging technologies as part of our series on Artificial Intelligence and Emerging Technologies. This episode was made possible with the support of Heinrich Bösch Stiftung. Nice of you to listen in and join us again today. My name is Pauline Goros-Pesavich, and this is Peace Perspectives on Artificial Intelligence and Emerging Technologies. Today, we will have conversations with Mr. Yudi Diputra from the Department of International Relations, Faculty of Social and Political Science, Universitas Mada, who is joining us today in Yogyakarta.
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, Thank you for having me. Nice to be here.
0: And we also have Ms. Mitzi Ostero, the program's manager of Nonviolence International Southeast Asia, who's currently in Cotabato City in Mindanao.
2: Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me over.
0: Pleasure to have both of you here today to talk about AI and emerging technologies. So I'd like to start today with national perspectives on AI and emerging technologies not just in Southeast Asian countries where both of your work is focused on, but also globally and the dynamics between developed countries leading the AI race and developing countries who may try to catch up, but who probably have other concerns to focus on, for example, economic and social development or may have other issues domestically that they need to resolve or poverty alleviation and so on. As we know, there are only a few countries who are capable of doing research and development and advances on AI and emerging technologies. And we see a lot of these in the news about a global AI race and how only a few countries are leading it. But I don't think a lot of people actually get the benefit of getting to know the views of developing countries. And so, I'm curious as to how the global AI race is viewed specifically in countries where both of you have worked.
2: Primarily in Southeast Asia, our region, you would notice that there are varying degrees of development and you have a country like Singapore that is recognized in this field as an advanced and strong country in the development of AI and emerging technology. Whereas you also have countries like Myanmar who are still very much left behind in the development and are still struggling with armed conflict. So these are the backdrop in the region that we work in. And when it comes to discussions of AI and emerging technology development, the priority, of course, is led by more developed countries who are not experiencing any armed violence. So the focus is on the development innovation of how to make work and the society better, which would then leave behind developing countries who are still experiencing armed conflict in the discussions because they are not focusing on this issue as much as other countries in the region. So you have that big gap of on the priorities for developing AI and other technologies.
0: I want to focus on what you said about the different concerns and interests of developed and developing countries because developing countries have very specific problems that their limited resources would have to focus on more than maybe technology or AI or these other um, emerging technology developments. And since you mentioned this sort of dichotomy in terms of technological development in two different fields for example security as you said or conflict resolution or peace would probably generate a different kind of discussion compared to ai and emerging technologies which seems kind of not very related and maybe more related to technology, economic, commercial applications, that aspect would be an entirely different conversation. But I'm curious, for instance, for a country like the Philippines, who would have concerns in both security and economic development and security because of recent concerns uh, by the government of protecting its borders, protecting its seas, securing its territorial integrity, And then, you know, domestically, of course, social and economic development, poverty alleviation, what has been their response? Uh, Let's just use the Philippines as an example. In technological developments outside of their borders, for example, in East Asia, where a lot of this development is happening.
2: In the Philippines case, majority of the discussions that we've had focuses on technological advancement, and trying to catch up with its more developed neighbors, especially in the side of the military, in the security sector, because military modernization has been pushed forward in several administrations now. But the Philippines still lags behind its neighbors in terms of capability in patrolling its seas, even the borders. And we also have the issue in the West Philippine Seas. So the drive towards modernization is really high. There is a, even for the public, you can see in comments on social media that the citizens also support this drive to modernize the security sector and even the private sector. Is focusing on trying to catch up with its neighbors. We have one of the slowest internet speed in the world and that is actually a cause for a lot of criticisms by the citizens or netizens against the government. The internet speed now is considered a basic services so that is one of the main concerns. How do you ensure that basic services are delivered to the citizens and ensuring that we are not left behind by the technological advancements that others are enjoying especially in terms of education. A lot of countries in the region have moved almost flawlessly to online classes, whereas we are still lagging behind in delivering basic education to students, even with the national ID system, uh, delivering of basic social security services. So the public concern is really focused on how will this technology advance in such a way that it delivers services. And of course, it's the same rationale that is also being used in the military sector. How can they protect the borders and their citizens if they are not as equally equipped and equally as advanced as their neighbors? So all sectors are for advancement, but the goals or objectives are quite different. You have a citizenry that's looking for how this will address the services that should be provided by them and you have another one that would uh, the objectives would be of course security but at the end of the day if you look at it it should be serving national interests and the population's concerns
0: especially for a country like the philippines and that is a fair point to make i'm curious also if country like Indonesia has the same concerns. So I'm going to turn over to Yudi and pose a similar question. Now, Indonesia is seen as a very important country in the region as a political leader. It's the most populous country in the region and has a lot of potential for economic development to be a leader in that aspect also. And so I'd like to get your views about what Indonesia thinks about this global AI race, is it something that's also a concern given that Indonesia, just like the Philippines, is also trying to economically develop itself, is also trying to solve certain societal problems, and is also not a stranger to conflict? Concern, yes. And
1: I think also government is seeing these AI and emerging technologies as opportunities as well so in indonesia i think similar with the philippines that one of the key drivers of this new technology is the private sector where the developments and adoption of ai has been very rapid and massive at the same time startups have been using ai to develop their applications and services to the populace we have seen like the growth of startups you know, working in the field of transportation and delivery services, e-commerce, and increasingly today as well, online education and online learning. So it's been very key drivers of economic growth, I think, in Indonesia and large as well in many countries in the region. The adoption in other fields like security and defense is a bit lagging behind the private sector, considering in the context of Indonesia, it's been you know it has a long history of embargo military embargo during the new order so it is in the process of modernizing its military but there are a lot of work to be done in this in this area so compared between the private sector and government adoption of ai i think the private sector still kind of lead and become the the key driver of such massive adoption but it's not to say that the government is not thinking about adoption of ai i think I've been talking to some industry insiders, especially in defense industry, where they were saying that there's a keen interest from the government in developing a more effective and robust way to patrol borders, especially when you look at Indonesia and the Philippines as well. We have a very long borders to guard and porous borders, where there are a lot of issues with regard to people smuggling, contrabands, and so on. So I think That's uh, in illegal fishing as well. So that's one of the issues that the government is currently addressing and trying to find a solution within the development of AI for border patrols. I think there's been initiatives from some defense industry, defense uh, corporations in Indonesia, for example, to develop some kind of unmanned uh, surveillance drones, for example, to cover areas around the border and look for any illicit activities. So it's been developing and it's been developed by the the industry, and we're waiting for adoptions by the, the military. As far as other application is concerned, there's also, I haven't seen actually this, but there's been increasing use of emerging technologies for law enforcement purposes. Like we have a lot of CCTVs all around the cities, facial recognition technology as well. So there's been a concern from civil society organizations that these new technologies are actually used for suppressing any dissent to government. I think this is a real concern and a real worry from civil society, especially because civil society historically, I think, in Indonesia and Philippines, as well as in some other countries in Southeast Asia as well, has been a very important pillar of democracy in these countries to control and check government's power. And I think that's kind of very important. And increasingly, this use of AI and surveillance technology Has been raising concerns among civil society that this this will be used to suppress any form of dissents and there are potential uses for these technologies obviously they are making sure that we're dealing with security issues crimes as well so between maintaining security and security of the citizens, as well as ensuring that their privacy are respected and freedom are respected, this is kind of a delicate balance that I think we need to figure out. And not every one of us have all completely figured out how to deal and how to live with these new technologies yet, but I think we have to find a way to communicate and sort of like start the discussions. So there's potential uses, there's been uses by governments as well, but there's been also concern and worry regard to privacy issues and regards to freedoms and so on.
0: I'd actually like to take off from what you said, UD, because I think um, that is very interesting. You know, we're talking about development on the one hand, but you know, on the other hand, um, there are two ways that this these technologies can be used. One is to deliver services, as both of you have pointed out, and the other one is um, to perform a function for the state, for enforcement, for security. Um, and all that. And maybe there is tension between these two things. So I'd like to kind of pick your brains um, a little bit, Yudi, and also Mitzi, about this um, seemingly, uh, you know, as a result of this tension between the need for security and the importance also of preserving rights, um, you know, as part of maintaining and uh, strengthening democratic institutions, Um, what do you both say to those who think that these technological applications on surveillance, enforcement, maintaining peace and order are necessary uh, because of insecurity in developing countries? We've mentioned conflict um, and, you know, the need to, to restore peace. Uh, in a lot of countries in Southeast Asia. But we also know there's a thin line between legitimate enforcement and, as you mentioned earlier, possibly uh, impinging on certain rights. Some of these technological applications, um, there is caution that they may be used in non-democratic instances. Um, do you think the issue lies more with... Uh, potentially the lack of transparency and accountability, especially in the application of these technologies, you know, in performing certain functions for the state. Um, how do we ensure that the state's use of technology and AI becomes more accountable? And I'll start with Yudi on this, and then I'll turn over to Mitzi.
1: The answer to that is a bit complicated, but we have to start at the principal level. There's a question about security and versus freedom and rights. And I think it has to be recognized at the beginning that both are important. Obviously, people need security, but at the same time, you cannot abandon people's rights and freedom at the same time. So I think we have to recognize that both are important and both cannot overpower the other. So this needs to be like the principle. And the second way, we need to also look at the process through which this application of technology is carried out. As I was saying earlier, none of us today know completely what and how we should live with AI. I mean, it's something that we are still figuring out. The technology is developing and the human consequences of this technology, we still need to assess those human consequences. And so we don't have all the answers, but what we do know is that if we want to use this technology, if we want to adopt this technology, especially to perform state functions, as Pauline, you mentioned earlier, there has to be transparency and accountability as you were mentioning. I agree completely that in the process of adoption, adopting this technology, we need to ensure that it undergoes, or it has to go to the process that is full of transparency and accountability by the government and all the stakeholders involved. And I think, It's important to establish that. I mean, obviously there are some legitimate security concerns in some situations where, for example, the use of state power to ensure the safety of the public is necessary. But in exercising those powers, the public has to know and the government official who carries out those actions need to be accountable by the public. And this requires discussions, engagements, and inclusion of all the stakeholders in the discussion. I think that's kind of the first important step to sort ourselves out of this seemingly dichotomous situation between picking security or rights and freedom, which I think we shouldn't choose because both are important. The point is to make sure that the process allows for transparency and accountability.
2: Your
0: thoughts, Mitzi?
2: The use of technology should focus on improving people's lives and help address the problems of society and promote economic and social equality. One of the issues of these things is that these developments in AI and emerging technology are done at a very competitive level and with much industry and even government secrecy. This will result in equality and marginalization. For example, in Singapore, which is the most advanced in the region on this field, only has 28% of women working in the field. The global average is 20%. So men outnumber women, the ratio is five to one. So that alone will tell you what kind of inclusivity this process, the development of these processes is having at the onset. So that poses already a problem of representation. So if you go back to the basic of what it should be doing, how can you address these problems? How could you improve people's lives if representation itself in the field of development is already lacking. So it marginalizes, I am in the opinion that, you know, if this trend continues, it would actually contribute to the gap, to the social inequality in society, which it should be actually addressing. And also in terms of education, which has been greatly affected by the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, the divide of how the education is being delivered to students, especially to children in marginalized rural areas compared to those students who are located in more developed cities is very far. You can notice it that people have to spend extra money for them to be able to be connected. Whereas in some areas, the Wi-Fi is accessible in public places or in their neighborhoods. So, this is going to be creating a bigger inequality and the gap and social economic gap that we have been targeting in the SDGs will not be achieved. And looking at the trend right now, you're actually seeing all these gaps which have been highlighted by the pandemic. Like, how many people, how many students have access to a computer? To Wi Fi, to all their learning materials in the different, even in a province alone, in a region in the Philippines, for example, these disparities can already be seen in one single community. So, addressing that definitely is, I think, one of the challenges in AI and emerging technology development for us. Namiti, I'd like
0: to kind of hone in on a chronic problem, unfortunately, in many Asian countries that you mention, and that is gender inequality. Speaking of technological developments and industry, you know, being more dedicated in general to service as a whole, social services as a whole. But there are, as a result of that, there are certain inequalities that it also inadvertently highlights. And I think one perspective, as you said, that we haven't actually heard enough of is whether these technological developments either empower or exacerbate the position of women in society. And so I'd like to pose this question to you. How do you think AI and emerging technologies as they are discussed now in their potential to help or disrupt society how can they better be viewed with a gendered lens? There is a disparity between developed and developing countries, not just in economic development, but because some developing countries are marred by conflict. And we know that conflict disproportionately affects vulnerable groups like women, children, the elderly. So when we're speaking about these tensions these inequalities potentially either created or highlighted or not really addressed by technology? How can we better view these developments with a gendered lens?
2: I think one of the main issues is the proponents of AI being more objective than humans is when you look at it, AI was developed by humans. So, and as we all know, based on trends, workforce trends around the world, AI and emerging technology working in this field is 80% male. So that alone will tell you that it's not going to be objective. It's being developed in almost entirely by males. And even more alarming is that majority of the positions, the senior positions in this field are also male developers. So in terms of development, policymaking, the perspectives is already skewed to marginalize women. And we are not even looking at other genders even, or even the other sectors. It's really skewed, to, the development is already skewed to favor half of the population. So looking at that, it's not objective. This development, I think we should debunk that advanced technology advancement will help eliminate bias and will help eliminate subjectivity. It does not really follow that logic if it's being developed by subjective and biased people. So since half of the population remains marginalized in this field, you know, women and girls will have an even lesser voice in these platforms because of precisely of how they were developed. So. With Asia still, with majority of the states in the region still trying to work and institutionalize gender equality because of the traditional norms and societal norms that remain to be patriarchal, that puts the status of men and preference for sons over daughters and women, we're still breaking that barrier. And here you have advancements in AI and emerging technology that are really going through the speed of, through a very fast pace, this will leave behind a lot of factors and could actually be detrimental to the efforts that the society is doing to advance equal gender representation. So I think at the onset, it has to be addressed.
0: Now, I uh, I kind of want to go back to what both of you touched upon lightly earlier about how the sector that's really leading these technological developments is the private sector, and how, of course, governments would be concerned with delivering public services while at the same time securing the country securing the border securing citizens and all that and how civil society would probably be concerned with what can this technology do for them can it help them achieve certain objectives be more educated advanced you know in their lives or you know will it be a vehicle for their rights to be taken away if they say something that is inconsistent with, for example, what the state's interests are. But we haven't really talked about all these sectors kind of working together. The private sector or the information technology industry, the government who you know has its own interests kind of at stake on this, and then civil society, who would probably be the most affected and the least capable of voicing itself unless they unite or themselves heard. And there seems to be a gap between these three actors in Southeast Asian countries. And I'd like to ask both of you, how we can bridge this gap between industry, uh, the governments and civil society, so that all of them communicate their interests, their concerns, and their desires, and possibly create policies that benefit all three sectors and that could respond well to each of their concerns as well without necessarily stepping on the other person's toes, without certainly impinging certain rights. How do you think we can make these linkages between these sectors and how can we make these linkages strong? I will start with UD, and then I'll turn over to Mitzi.
1: I think the way to build bridge between these stakeholders requires initiatives. I think from all, in, but necessarily, I think most importantly from the government to be able to understand that if we are to create regulations, if we are to make policies in regards to the adoption of AI and emerging technologies, it needs to be inclusive. It needs to involve everyone, and I think. Uh, there are a lot of actors in the countries in Southeast Asia and civil society organizations. There are academics, academia as well as industries whose interests are on these new technologies and therefore their opinions needs to be heard. As we were discussing earlier, these technologies can be very disruptive to people's lives. It is within the interest of the government to ensure that any kind of policies that or law that it enacts takes into account the perspectives of different stakeholders uh, within the society to ensure that it is acceptable. As I was saying earlier, we have to first of all agree on the principle level. What sort of principle we want to set up as like the main reference when we talk about these new technologies, when we talk about artificial intelligence. And I think The key point I was saying earlier, transparency and accountability is very important here. The users of AI, for example, needs to take into account, needs to be able to be accountable to the general public. You can't automate law enforcement. You can't automate defense. You can't automate the decisions to kill. That's just common sense. Obviously, if you start automating that, if you start using automation in those fields, obviously, there's going to be ethical and moral questions that uh, we will have to answer. And, and that obviously diminishes accountability that, that we were talking earlier. So if we agree on the basic principles of how we should you know, adopt these new technologies, then communication and engagements between stakeholders would be easier to be done. And obviously, they are going to be referring to the same set of principles when talking about this adoption. So I think the engagements between different stakeholders are very important. Historically, in these new cutting edge technologies, it is typically only involve a small group of people, either like the developers, maybe also regulators, some academicians, but generally lack uh, involvement from the general public. It is easy to dismiss. To say that well, the public wouldn't understand. It's easy to say that, but it's not. I think it's not really a good answer to that. I mean, just because the topic is a bit complicated, it doesn't mean that we could exclude a large number of populations who are going to be affected, as Mitzi was saying earlier, who are going to be affected by these new technologies. So, in these particular fields, it's easy to say that the public wouldn't understand. But I think the right way to do it is to allow them. Build the capacity for the people to be able to understand this new technology. What are the implications uh, for their lives, and and so on? Uh, one example I can cite for the issue of online transportation, for example, it's been uh, like Uber or Grab in the region. In Indonesia, we have Gojek, for example. There's been a lot, a lot of issues with regards to workers, you know, rights. Right? I mean, it's the kind of relationship between providers and the drivers. That is the kind of issues that ordinary people, ordinary drivers would want to know and would want to want their opinions to be heard by the government in order to protect their source of livelihood. That's an important example because this technology is very cutting edge. It's very up there. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have any effects to ordinary people. And I think involving ordinary people in the conversation really, really is important in this regard.
0: And Mitzi, you have the final word.
2: I agree with Judy that policymaking should be inclusive and all stakeholders should be invited in the discussions and the development. Surveillance is an issue for citizens based on our own public dialogue. It is very divisive. You have the support for increased police or security visibility, and then on one side, you also have those who fear becoming a police state. So increasing transparency and inclusivity in the process and creating platforms for public dialogue is very important. Civil society organizations like us and the academe should get involved in the development as it will have an impact on all aspects of society, not just in the surveillance, but also in conflict transformation and peace building and also equal development.
0: Thank you, Mitzi and Yudi, for your thought-provoking words. And with that, we conclude our discussion. Thank you both for joining us today. Is there a best way to reach both of you in case our listeners want to follow your work,
2: Mitzi? Yes, uh, they can follow me at midsi.acero at Twitter.
0: And UD?
1: I can be followed on Twitter at Yudi Adiputra.
0: Thank you very much for that. And this has been Peace Perspectives on AI and emerging technologies. We hope you enjoyed our episode. Thank you for listening. This has been Peace Perspectives on Artificial Intelligence and Emerging Technologies, produced by Nonviolence International Southeast Asia. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com nonviolenceasia and Twitter with Twitter handle at nonviolenceasia. Thank you for listening.